morning, Luke chapter 15. I've got three young men that are going to read for me. I think Cole, you're first, if I'm not mistaken. Are you reading Luke 15, 1 through 7? That is correct. Come on up if you would. We're going to take these kind of in three individual... I'm struggling with this mic, Nancy, sorry. Um, three individual sections of this chapter. So Cole is going to start us with Luke 15, verse 1 through 7. Let me get you by. Then drew near unto him all of the publicans and sinners for, for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of ye, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after it, which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his soldiers, rejoicing. And when he is cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, That likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons who need no repentance. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Now I want you to think about what you just read. There was the individual, it uh, talks about here, with what man of you having a hundred sheep, verse number four, if he loses one, doesn't leave the ninety and nine and go after the sheep that was lost, okay? And then he goes and he finds the one sheep that was lost. And I want you to notice the last verse, verse number seven. I say unto you that there shall be joy in heaven over one, or more joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth than over ninety and nine just persons who need no repentance, The meaning of that first section of Luke chapter 15 is about the subject of repentance. Okay? What is repentance? Repentance means to change. means I'm not doing what I used to do. I'm doing what God wants me to do. Repentance technically means to turn again. We're not doing what's wrong. We're doing what's right. That's repentance. And and it's important to repent. In fact, verse number 7 said, The angels in heaven rejoice. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one person that repents and over 99 that need no repentance. So in this crowd here today, there may be 60 people in the crowd or 50 people in the crowd, whatever the number is, and there may be 49 of you out of 50 that don't need repentance, but if there's one that needs repentance and a person repents and changes their life, there's more rejoicing in heaven over that than over the 49 people that didn't need repentance. And I just want you to notice, 99 sheep... They left the 99 to go after one sheep that's lost because it's important to repent. I just want you to get the concept. It's repentance. That's what the chapter's about. Now, I've got Isaiah lined up, and I want him to read Luke 15, 8 through 10. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which, which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Okay, thank you very much, Mr. I want you to notice the second section of this chapter, Luke chapter 15. We're just talking about three different verses, but the subject again of the verses are repentance. Okay? And in this case, it was a woman that had 
coins and she lost one. She swept the entire house. When she found it, she rejoiced over it. And then verse number 10 says, Likewise, I say to you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God, of God over one sinner that repents. It's about repentance again, okay? That's the context of Luke chapter 15. Now, we've got a third story of repentance in Luke 15. And it's a longer story than first seven verses or three verses, verse 8 through 10. It starts with verse number 11. And I have asked Matthew if he would to read that far. So Luke 15, we're going to begin with verse number 11. I want you all to pick up the context of repentance through the rest of this chapter. And he said... And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine and he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him and when he came to himself he said how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare and i'll perish with hunger i will arise and go to my father and will say unto him father i have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called by thy son make me as one of thy hired servants and he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to the servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither and fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answered, said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatty calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this is thy brother was dead." and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. Thank you very much, Matthew, and to all of our readers. Appreciate that very much. What, and again, kind of like Michael talked about, I just want you to think about the answer. I'm not necessarily asking for you to blurt out an answer, but what was the last section about, the context of that section about? Now, I know the story was about the prodigal son. We don't typically, in, in the King James Version, it doesn't use the term prodigal. I think it does in the New King James. But... The, this son that was lost and is found, that's the story. But what's the story about? It's about repentance. It's 
about the concept of repentance. We struggle with repentance. I want to tell you a true story. Last week, or two weeks ago, about a week and a half ago, it wasn't this very last week, but the week before that, I went to essentially what was called a, uh, what you would call a homeless shelter. And I sat down with an individual that I had known since I was a teenager that grew up in the church. And he was sitting essentially in a homeless shelter with a drug addiction and challenges. I, just a lot of life challenges, family challenges, those kind of things. And I'll tell you honestly, I sat down across the table from him and my heart is just broken for him. But you know what I saw in him? For the first time, he has had life change, challenges, life challenges, life challenges. He's my age. And for the first time, I saw in his eyes the look in his eyes that I saw when he was 15 years old. I saw a person that truly, honestly was wanting to be different, wanted to change. Now, life will play it out. We'll know, right? We'll know over the next 10 years whether that change is really real or whether it's not real, etc., but I tell you, for the first time, I saw in him a real person that wanted to do what God wanted him to do and wanted to change. Y'all know the difference? Y'all know what I'm talking about? When you visit with somebody and, and maybe they've messed up, they've made a mistake, and they're going, huh, sorry. You ever seen that? You know what I'm talking about? But you kind of get from their body attitude and their tone, etc. They're really not sorry. They're sorry they got caught, maybe. But they're really not Sorry. Because we think sorry, saying I'm sorry is repentance. And saying I'm sorry is not repentance. Sorry is a part of repentance, or if it's the right kind of sorrow, it's a part of repentance, but it's not repentance. What is repentance? What does it mean to repent? It means to change. It means you're not doing what you did before, and you're doing things that are different. And I want to talk to you specifically today about four principles of repentance. I want you to put them in your mind. I'm going to keep it very simple. I'm not going to do this for an hour or or even really 30 minutes. I want you to get the four principles in your brain. I want you to memorize them because in my opinion, they're very life-changing. They they're very they will affect you in life if you know these four principles. And and it has to do with how to make life work. And let me t- tell you verse number 17 of the prodigal son. Let's talk about those three stories first of all. The very first seven verses there was an individual that had ninety, had a hundred sheep. Ninety-nine of them were safe, but one was lost. He went out to seek the one one that was lost. And angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents. The second one was a woman that had ten silver coins, and she lost one. She swept the entire house till she found it. When she found it, rejoiced because there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents, that changes. And then we get to the prodigal son. And let me tell you a moment of repentance for the prodigal son. Y'all know basically the story, don't you? That he went, it was read for us. He, he went and he, he asked his inheritance from his father. And he went out and he wasted that substance on riotous living is the King James Version. In other words, he went out and spent all of his money on wine, women, and song. He just wasted a bunch of money. And he wasted it. He just threw it out. Trying to have, enjoy the pleasure of this life. And he found himself in the pig slop. He found himself separated from his father's house with no money, no food. And I love the phrase in the King James. I'm glad that Matthew used the King James because it said, he fain would have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. Now, that's King James if ever you heard King James. Now, you know what that means? His, even the pig slop started to look good to him. He was hungry. And when pig slop starts, 
that's hard to say. When pig slop starts looking good to you, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something needs to change. You know, this friend of mine that I sat down across the table from this last week and really saw changes is, I asked him, I said, how can we help people, really help people? And he told me the thing I already knew. But these are the words that came out of his mouth. His life has been, he just, I cannot begin to tell you the decisions he's made that have just destroyed him in a million ways. Drugs were a part of it, et cetera, et cetera. But here's his answer. How can we, I said, how can Mike McCorkle, how can Ty Fleming, how can uh, Yancey Jones or Matt Clark as elders in churches, et cetera, how can we truly help people where they don't end up where you're sitting today? And he answered the answer we all know. He said they will not change until they're ready to change. And look at verse number 17 of the prodigal story, or the prodigal son story. And when he came to himself. I don't, I'll tell you where the point of repentance was for the prodigal son. It was in those five words right there. And when he came, y'all do the math, it might be six words. And when he came to himself. He had to wake up and decide, I don't want to live that way. I want to live the way that I need to be living. Now, here's your four principles of repentance. And we see it in the prodigal son. We see it demonstrated. He, he repented. He said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And this friend of mine got to that spot where he truly said, I'm not going to live this way anymore. And he opened up and he talked to his family and he talked to his church and he talked to his, and he says, I've been, I've been living the way I, I it's got to change. And he got to a point where it's going to change. And he's doing great, by the way. He really is doing great right now. I'm very proud of him. But my heart goes out for all the pain and all the suffering and all the decisions that were made. But maybe it'll be a great conclusion. We'll know. In the next ten years, we'll know whether it was really the the time or not the time. But my heart aches for him because he's dealing with some very difficult battles. Uh, We were talking... Somebody yesterday here about uh, drinking alcohol and somebody, one of the older men said, when I was 15 years old, I tasted it and it was awful. And it it was just, you know, he goes, I can't imagine that that I would just keep drinking alcohol if I didn't like it to begin with. Why in the world would I ever try it? And, and, uh, And it's just not been a weakness for him. But, you know, somebody else takes it and it is a weakness for them. And sometimes those individuals end up down a path they really don't want to end up being at. And then they find themselves and they've lost family and et cetera. I come from a family that my granddad was an alcoholic on my mom's side. My granddad walked away from our family. I mean, totally walked away. He, In fact, he took my mother and her siblings to Arkansas and dropped them off out of the car like a bunch of dogs and abandoned them. No car, no money, no anything. My grandmother hitchhiked back to Oklahoma to with my mom when my mom was seven years old and she went to frying hamburgers to save up enough money to send money back to Arkansas to so that my 15-year-old uncle could drive the siblings back to Oklahoma to meet up with my family. Do you think I need to take alcohol? I mean, do you really think I need to drink alcohol? Do you really think anybody else really needs to? It's In my life... I don't see that blessing. I don't see that being a blessing to somebody because I saw the destruction that it did in my family. I don't want that destruction in my family. 
So I, I make different decisions in my life related to that. I have other weaknesses and struggles that I have to work on, but alcohol's never been a weakness for me. But part of it's because I never tried it because I don't want it in my life. I don't want that type of stuff in my life. But the other stuff that are challenges to me that maybe I went down a path or I did I, and, and wished I hadn't have done, etc. How do I change it? How do I make a different decision? How do I come to myself to a point of decision where I say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do something different. And uh, I think we see it in the prodigal son. And here's the principles. Okay? And I want you to remember them. They're all R's. Put it in your memory bank. Four R's of repentance. Okay? Responsibility. Luke chapter 15, verse number 18. He said, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. I have sinned. Do you know we as humans have this real tendency to blame other people for what we do? It's just a natural human characteristic. In the garden of Eden, in the very beginning, God comes and looks and says, Adam, where are you? You've partaken of the fruit. You did something, and what did Adam say? It was that woman... Right? And then it got worse than that. He blamed God, who you gave me. It was somebody else's fault. It can't be my fault, right? Let me tell you the first principle toward taking steps to repentance means you take responsibility for what you do. I'm not asking you to take responsibility for what somebody else does, but you've got to take responsibility for what you do. Do, have I really repented? Have I really changed? If I'm sitting down with my friend last week and he goes, uh, well, I'm here, but, you know, I don't really deserve to be here. I'm just here because, you know, I had a friend and that friend gave me something I really shouldn't have gotten. Is that repentance? It's not repentance at all. You guys know repentance when you see it. You, we understand the concept of repentance. But he, that person hadn't changed if they've gotten to that spot, have they? They're just blaming other people for what they've done. And I'll tell you, the first principle of repentance is to take responsibility for what you do. I have sinned. I did what I did, and I was wrong in doing what it was that I did. Resp- take responsibility for your actions. Okay? The second one is regret. And that's really the I'm sorry part. I heard inside I regret what it is that I've done. I, I am, I'm sorry for what I've done. Now, 2 Corinthians 7 talks about The sorrow of this world worketh death, but godly sorrow works repentance. Okay? So there's different types of sorrow. Sometimes people can be sorry they got caught. That's the sorrow of this world that works death. But there's another kind of sorrow, and that's godly sorrow. I truly regret what I've done. I ache inside that I did that. I hurt someone, or I I made a decision I shouldn't have done. I violated my conscience. I truly am sorry that's regret. And, it, and regret is a part of repentance. It's just not repentance in itself. That's not the entire story of repentance. And you see it in the prodigal son. What did the prodigal son say? I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. You know, he didn't go to his father and go, uh, yeah, I sinned, but, you know, really, you know, you, you didn't train me right. And you, you know, I'm blaming you in the process because, you know, really, you should have never given me the inheritance. And to be honest with you, you kind of owe it to me anyway. Right? prodigal son didn't do that. What did the prodigal son do? I'm not even worthy to be here, man. And you know when a person gets to the spot of repentance, they go, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I'll just lay it down. 
this is who I am, this is what it's about, and I made the mistake, and whatever it takes to make it right. And you know, people that hadn't repented, it's interesting in human nature, people that truly have not repented do not have that attitude. They don't say, whatever it takes, I'm game to do whatever, just run me through the ringer, whatever, I just want to... But that's where the prodigal son was at. He wasn't saying, Dad, I deserve to be back in your house. Dad, you owe it to me to be back in your house. And you know, really what I did really wasn't that bad. That wasn't his attitude at all. He said, I'm not even worthy to be here. I take responsibility for what I did. I'm not worthy. You could, you could run me out of here. And I understand because that's what I would deserve. I really do regret what I've done. So the first one, responsibility. The second one, I regret. What's number three? I resolved never to do it again. Now, there are resolutions that we make that we don't keep. Every New Year's, I make a resolution, right? I'm going to lose some weight this year. That's my resolution. You think I've kept it? Y'all are looking at me going, don't know how to answer that. You didn't say it confidently, did you? Well, the reality is sometimes we make resolutions, we don't keep them. You know, there were five frogs sitting on a lily pad. Three of them decided to get off. How many are left? Do the math. There's five left because they just decided to get off. They didn't get off. And, you know, we can resolve to do a lot of stuff and never do anything. Or we can resolve to do something and actually follow through with it. So the point is, when somebody says, I'll never do that again, does that mean they'll never do it again? So when they say, I'll never do it again, doesn't mean they've repented. It just means that's a part of repentance is to resolve not to do it again. Does that make sense? Okay? But there's still another step. I'm not negating the fact somebody needs to resolve, but that's not repentance in and of itself. It's a combination of all those things. Brother Michael came to our congregation this summer and held a meeting, and he had a sermon on the cumulative effect. It takes all of these things to be real repentance. And here's your last one. Repair. Okay? Let me, I didn't show you the Luke 15 thing on resolve. I'll arise and go to my father's house. He said, that's what I'm going to do. What if he'd have never gone to his father's house? Would he have repented? So just saying, I'm going to go to my father's house, doesn't mean he repented. And then number four, what's the rest of that? He arose. And what did he do? He went to his father's house. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm going to work to repair this relationship. My father has servants and bread enough and to spare. I'm going to be as one of his hired servants. At least I get to eat and that. So I don't care. I, the ego's out the window. I want to do whatever it takes to make it right. You might change that word for repair to restore. And that'd certainly be applicable. You make restoration. You do what it, do, what it takes to restore the relationship or restore the issue. That's real repentance. When a person takes responsibility for what they do, they regret, truly regret, godly sorrow regret what they do. They resolve never to do it again, and they work to restore. Now, let me tell you some heartache stuff. There's some things you can't undo. There are things in life, if I shot somebody and killed them, I could not take the bullet back. So how am I going to repair that? I, I want to tell you, there's some awful things in life that you can't undo. There are some things that we can undo. And I think God wants us to do what it is we can do, to do our best to do what it is that we can do to restore 
the relationship or the problem or whatever, restore our communion fellowship with him even. And you say, well, I don't know about that repair thing. I think somebody ought to just be able to say, I'm sorry, and I'll never do it again, and that would be okay. Well, why would they need to repair anything? Why would they need to restore it? Because it's not really repentance until they do. Let me give you an illustration. I go and rob a bank. Now, it, I was in Denton one time during a bank robbery. I was sitting over here, and the Wells Fargo was getting robbed while we were sitting in a restaurant across the street. It was kind of a weird experience. But let's say hypothetically, and it is hypothetical, I didn't rob the bank. But let's say I was the bank robber that day, and I come out of the Wells Fargo, and I've got a bag of money, and I've stolen a million dollars from the Wells Fargo bank over here. And I come home to Lisa, my wife, and I throw the million dollars on the bank and I say, we're going to Hawaii, Honolulu. I want to go there. Just wanted to see how many people in the room had seen it. And Lisa, what does Lisa say? She goes, we can't go to Hawaii. I say, darling, yes, we can. I've got a million dollars. We're on our way to Hawaii. And she says, we can't go to Hawaii. Why can't we go to Hawaii? Because that's not our million dollars. And say, well, darling, you're right. I stole the million dollars. I take full responsibility. I stole the million dollars from the bank. In fact, I feel I'm sorry that I stole the million dollars. And I resolved never to steal another million dollars from any bank ever. So let's go to Hawaii. I've repented, right? Y'all know I've repented, Right? Y'all know, I mean, he is at full repentance. He said he was sorry. He said he'd never do it again. He even took full responsibility for his actions. And every one of you in this room today know what I have to do. What is it that I'd have to do, gentlemen? Do what? Repent, that's right, but to show, or or repair. What would I need to do to repair? Oh, everybody knows I have to take the money back to the bank. Why would I need to do that? You're telling me I have to repair. I said I was sorry. I said I'd take full responsibility. I said I resolved never to do it again. And you're saying I have to go take the money back. You judgmental people. You are judgmental. Right? But what I'm saying is y'all know that I need to do that. What's our four principles? Take full responsibility. I regret what it is I've done, truly regret, godly sorrow. Number three, resolve never to do it again. Number four, I take the steps necessary to try to make it right. So let me put it in practical terms for us. If we have a relationship problem with a husband and wife, and the husband does something he shouldn't do, and he feels bad that he did it, what does repair mean? He needs to go sit down and visit with his wife and say, I'm sorry, I really am sorry, and I do take responsibility, and I resolve not to do it again, and I will do anything you need for me to make that right. I want to repair it. You have to go do that. If you have a friend and you guys have gotten crosswise with each other or whatever, how do you repair a broken relationship? You've got to sit down, you've got to visit, and you've got to say, I'll do whatever it takes to make that right. And let me know. I, I really do feel sorry for what it is I've done. I want to make it right. And we've got to be willing to have that kind of an attitude to be right with God also. What happens when we violate God's law, God's commandments? What happens when we violate our conscience? And we know what we did was wrong, but 
We come to God and we go, God, and I think of the psalmist David, created me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me, uh, restore to me the joy of thy salvation, uphold me with thy free spirit. He was in grief over what it was that he did. What do you do to make it right with God? You've got to repair it. You've got to go to him in prayer. If you're a baptized Christian, the same blood is in repentance and prayer. Maybe you've never been baptized, etc. You've got to be baptized into Christ. But repentance is a part of that process to, to say, I'm changing. I'm not just getting dunked in water. What if you just got dunked in water, but you didn't really repent? What if you just got dunked in water, but you weren't really, you really weren't changing? You know what I'm saying? You just go, well, I was sorry. I'm getting baptized. Well, that's not really getting baptized, is it? Getting baptized is really having the right heart that says, I want to change my life. I want my life to be different. I'm going to do everything. Lord, I lay it down at your feet. And whatever it is that you've asked me to do, I submit myself to you. I'm willing to do that. That's the life of a Christian. That's the life I live every day or want to live or ought to be my goal to live every day is to lay it down before God and say, whatever it is, I'm not worthy to be called the son of God or a son of God. I'm not worthy to be a Christian. I didn't do anything worthy. He has sacrificed it all at Calvary for me. And I'm wanting to work and do anything I can to let him know that I care about him and I want a relationship with him. That's what I want to do. God bless you guys. Appreciate you. I appreciate your heart in being here this week.